We're talking about mercy today. And when we talk about mercy, we talk about the community mission of hope. Um, we as a church founded uh, the local rescue mission, uh, Community Mission of Hope in 2009. So I think we're 21, no, uh, 11, 12 years. And uh, you have been um, a manager over there for quite some time. And you really run the operation at the main warehouse and offices. Tell us a little bit about a day in the life. A day in the life of Community Mission of Hope. Let's see. Well, we have four employees now. I don't nice. Know you know That's that. exciting. Growing. 100 volunteers, 100 nice. plus volunteers. We're always looking for more. Um, we're feeding. So we're Monday through Friday. The food pantry is open. So folks who are in need can come in and get fed Monday through Friday. We have a housing resource center. So neighbors without houses, folks who are facing eviction, um, and really anyone who is in, in some sort of crisis comes to our door and we'll help them find the resource. If it's not us, we're gonna help resource them out. And that's what I love about Community Mission of Hope. There's a lot I love about it, but the fact that your doors are open five days a week, people can come in either by an appointment at the regular time or they just walk right in and you take care of them. You get to know them right where they are. We'll talk about kind of the relationship center of it um, in, in just a minute. But I want us to think in terms of mercy, we can speak about uh, uh, the poor, right? And that's actually a biblical phrase and, and that will come up today in the, in, in the passages that we use. When we talk about the poor, that can do something to us that may not be exactly healthy. It can categorize people, that there are the haves and the have-nots, and those are the poor, kind of over there, sort of at arm's length. And what do we do about the poor? Um, the poor can also be a concept that's very political, kind of a political hot button where both political parties might, might use the poor to manipulate their, their you know, constituents for giving and votes and things like that. So it's really kind of uh, oftentimes a little bit uncomfortable in the sense that it can be somewhat dehumanizing. So how can we make this a human issue and what language can we use that's a, a little bit different? Allison, then, then we'll go to you, Rachel. Sure. Um, you know, dignity. It's yeah. all about dignity. It's all about looking at someone and seeing that they're made in the image and likeness of God, that they are equal to, to us, that they aren't over there, um, and not taking the easy way out, right. I think, in, the, in some cases like that. So um, for us at Community Mission of Hope, everybody who comes in is family. Everybody who comes in, we want them to become you know, a friend. We want them to know about us. We want to know about them. Um, and we want to get to know them on that level, not about what you have or what you don't have, but about who you really are. And I love that relationship because really dignity comes in in relationship when you're uh, caring enough about somebody to spend time with that person, to get to know their story, and they get to know your, your story. Uh, it's not just about us giving to them. It's really about just human beings building relationship, getting to know each other really as friends, and then together finding the best solution. That is incredibly dignifying. And, and Rachel, I know you spent some time in, uh, in church leadership and in your own life uh, helping folks. How can we bring that kind of dignity from your perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it is really easy just to categorize people. You don't really know them. You develop opinions, you know. Um, but once you get to know people and you hear their story, um, there's so many reason behind the situation that people are in. Um, I did youth group, you know, for so many years, and I would tell the kids all the time, nobody is your age saying, I think I want to be homeless when I grow up. And so something has happened along the way. And really, with Community Mission of Hope, that's what I really love so much about them is you guys are walking with people for years, developing relationship and developing that trust so then you can speak into somebody's life. You're learning about them, the trauma, the horrors that some people have lived through that is driving them to addiction and things like that. 
we're learning really cool things about them. Like they know how to play the guitar and they're right. good at IT and they have grandkids and their kids are at TVHS, but they're still on the street. We're learning not just about their traumas and their struggles, but about, you know, their talents and their gifts and yeah. who they are. Yeah. And it's been so fun being over at Community Mission of Hope and just seeing the volunteers and the staff just treat everybody who comes in as friends and as equals. And that just means the world, absolutely the world. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, mentoring a lot of folks who have been in need, including uh, some homeless people. And, and, they, and, and so they're, they're, they're without homes and we can kind of look at them in a certain way and we immediately kind of categorize and, and that's sort of natural. But this is where relationship fills that gap because you get to know their stories and, and you get to, to know that um, it, there's a reason why they're there. Uh, they, like you said, Rachel, didn't wake up and say, I'm going to decide to be homeless, but they had some trauma in their life, deep trauma, loss of a parent, um, a mental illness that has plagued them their entire life, and they were just trying to self-medicate just to get through the day. They end up being extraordinarily, uh, you know, drug addicted to the point where they have trouble holding jobs and keeping appointments, and so a lot has to then kind of be rerouted, and it takes sometimes years, and oftentimes it's not three steps forward, two steps back, it's half a step forward and five steps back. And, and for some, it's really not about the outcome necessarily, the success stories that you know, make a video, but just the honor of walking with another human being. And whether or not they are successful or whether or not they even step backwards, you got a chance to relate with a human being and to show unconditional love. You know, we are not enabling people to, for destructive behavior, but you're also saying, I'm still gonna be here. Even if you make a decision, even if you, even if you are, are seriously trying to sabotage your own life, which is what it feels like That's sometimes. Called every name in the book. Uh, of course. Community mission of hope. But <laughs> yeah. you know, two weeks later, we're crying we're and still holding here. hands and we're hugging and yep. you know, we move on. That's Christ-like love. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is really interesting. I I have been in times of great need. Um, I was a single mother. I was in the welfare system. I used the coupons at the grocery store. And it's, it's pretty humiliating, um, especially, you know, if somebody's scoffing or, or whatever. Um, and the interesting thing for me is now I'm in a time of plenty in my life. And I've really noticed um, a difference in the way people will treat me. And I'm just the same person. Uh, no matter my financial status, you know. But there really is a difference in how we look um, at people who are, are in these situations of extreme need or addiction or anything, um, things like that. Uh, but they are. They're just people just like us, right. you know, and they're deserving of love and mercy and the justice that they do need. Yeah, people always say, what can I do? How can I help? Look somebody in the eye and say, hi, how are you yeah. today? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Don't let these people become invisible. Right. Um, show that you care for real. Absolutely. And uh, that's where it all begins is relationship. Because then you have the trust and the credibility uh, that says, we're going to walk this journey together as partners. We're not just going to give you stuff. Because if we just give stuff, um, the intention there to help can be good. But there's a concept called, um, uh, I always get this, when helping, when helping hurts. Thank you. When helping hurts. Uh, there is a way to intend to help people, but you're actually enabling destructive behavior. Uh, Rachel, you gave an example. I did, yeah. I, I was reading, you know, an article about, and, you know, this was years ago, about a, you know, a group that had gone into a place and, you know, gave them a bunch of stuff, dropped off some things. And one in particular, the, the story caught my interest, but a little boy was given a bike, but he didn't know how to ride the bike, and they had already left. 
And so, yeah, sometimes, you know, we, we can go in and drop some things off, but we aren't getting to know the people. We aren't able to walk alongside them to help them up in these, in these to teach them to ride a bike, you know? How amazing is that for a child to not be given the bike, but then to also be taught how to ride the bike, you know? Just investing a little bit of that time with them. And that's an example of, of, of helping in a way that really isn't helping in the big picture because there, it's not a relationship. So if somebody felt good about donating a bike, but there's no one there to teach the kid to ride a bike. There might be an environment where half an hour later it's stolen. Right. There's no place to store it. Right. I mean, these are the things that, that you've got to really think through to, to give mercy in a, in a smart way. Starts with relationship, but then also it's about you know helping in a way that truly brings as much sustainability and genuine help as possible. Another thing that is generally not helpful, and this is a little controversial, is uh, is giving out to panhandlers. We give cash to people on the street, and we might well not we might we think it's coming we it's coming from a good place. It is generally coming from a good place. You think you're helping. Listen, you're not. You're you're, you're fueling drug addiction and alcoholism and, and encourage, you're paying them to be on the streets. And our homeless population yeah. tell me that. Yeah. It's not, it's not something we're just making up. They, Allison, they shouldn't be given to those people on the side. That guy <laughs> just went and, you know, yeah. saw his dealer and yeah. wherever. They, they tell us yeah. what's going on. So this is where we can help in a way that truly is sustainable and truly brings help, and that is to give to reputable organizations or to be a part of organizations that are building relationships so you know the people, you know what they really need. You're in a very smart way developing a pathway. It's a complex pathway. Way. This isn't just about filling a need. There are, there's relational poverty. There's, um, there's emotional uh, poverty. There's mental illness. There are so many complexities. There's criminal records. And I mean, <laughs> one, this is my story. Um, uh, a gentleman I know needed a car. Someone gave him a car. And he took the car. But license was suspended. No way to insure this thing. And got, get, then got another DUI. I mean, it's just, okay, t- let's take a break. <laughs> this is really complicated. Nobody has the right answers. The three of us don't have all the right answers, but what we do have is experience and relationship. And Community Mission of Hope has experience and relationship. And so to partner with a community um, to help as best we can, as smart as we can, with the highest level of dignity just means so much. So thank you both very much. Allison, thank, thank you. you. Round of applause you. to her and, and Rachel. Thank you. And by the way, Rachel um, is the glue that connects all of the Rancho world to our Mercy, Justice, and Love Ministries. And so anytime, Rachel's here every week, just kind of pull her aside, say it's time for me to get involved, and uh, she will help you out. Of course, you can go to cmoh.net to get plugged into Community Mission of Hope as well. During this Mercy, Justice, and Love series, we're going to go through mercy for a couple weeks, justice for a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about love as we uh, head into the Christmas season. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus' heart for the poor. We're going to talk about mercy at its core, most fundamental foundation, which is helping people in need, particularly those who don't have much. Listen to what Jesus says as he's introducing himself. He's introducing himself to the world. Listen to the first sentence he preaches, introducing his mission to the world. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's his opening line. That's his hello I came here for the poor. And he says there's this message to the poor. And that message is real important because the message is really the heart of God. The message to the poor that you are loved, that God loves you, that God hasn't cursed you into poverty, 
That whatever failures might be a part of your world, God doesn't view you by your failures. God has got a mercy and love and compassion and forgiveness, and you are his dearly loved daughter, his dearly loved son. And he says that specifically to the poor who often don't feel very good about themselves. And then that message of Jesus results in a ministry of Jesus where he is actually tangibly giving help to people who, who don't have a lot. And he is feeding and he's healing and he's giving them what they need in that moment. That's the first line of Jesus um, uh, uh, introducing himself to the world. And, and that fuels our mission as a church. And Steve talked about this a little bit last week. Our mission as a church is that we are a diverse community of friends. That's the foundation. It's relationship, as we talked about here. It's all about relationship. And so we are a community of friends. We're diverse, not just in terms of, of race and ethnicity, which is a huge value in the scripture. It's a huge value to us that we look like the world around us, that we're diverse in age, we're diverse in ethnicity, but we're also diverse in terms of socioeconomic standing. Uh, any church that is really kind of following hard after Christ will have this, this wide open door to anyone whether you are, are rich and drive the fanciest cars and wear all the fancy clothes, or whether you are just trying to put your next meal together, everyone welcome here. A diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ. Advancing the cause of Christ. We're not just here to sit and listen. We are not a sit and listen church. Part of it is sitting and listening, but it's to mobilize and it's to educate and it's to equip us to advance the cause of Christ, to do the actual work of Jesus. And Jesus made it clear what that work is. It's mercy, justice, and love. He made it very clear. In fact, he made it so crystal clear. Any of us can, can read this passage, both found in Matthew 23 and Luke chapter 11, as Jesus is correcting course here. He's looking at all these religious people doing all kinds of religious things, right? And they might be, you know, praying in, in the right way, and they might be reading scripture in the right way, and they might be going to all the, the ceremonies and services in just the right way. They might look the right way on the outside. They might, you know, give the right way according to the word, but they're missing the most important thing. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's talking to the, the religious put together, and he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore, ignore the more important aspects of the law. And then he flat lists them, justice, mercy, love. Anyone can understand this passage. This does not take a seminary degree. Jesus says the most important things are mercy, justice, and love. So if we are following Jesus Christ, if we are Christians, we've got to put that in the front burner. Let's not be so concerned with all the religious accoutrement of, 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 our, of our faith and of our practices and of our heritage. It's, it's a work that we've signed up to. It's a work that we've signed up to, to together advance the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. Today, we're going to talk about mercy. What is mercy? Fortunately, today, it is the simplest of these subjects, right? Mercy is very simple. I'm happy it's simple because my wife and I spent much of the night last night stuck on a freeway trying to get home. <laughs> and, uh, we were there for a very long time. So I'm running on fumes. So this is simple. Good for all of us. Mercy is relieving the suffering of, other, suffering of others through forgiveness, support, or tangible help in time of need. That's mercy. Relieving the suffering of others. At its core foundation, that's what it is. But there's several ways to do it. We can, we can relieve suffering by extending forgiveness, relationship, and tangible help. 
The forgiveness piece is an act of mercy. In fact, if we really understand our relationship with God, forgiveness is at the core of that. Every single one of us understands that we are not perfect. We have not arrived. None of us can say we have got to the place where we have uh, perfect holiness and, and perfect obedience and our life perfectly honors God. We need God's mercy. We need God's forgiveness. We all believe that God is a perfect God and we are imperfect people. So the very essential thing that we need is God's forgiveness. God looks at us and, and he looks at us not according to our failures, but he looks at us according to, to, to the forgiveness that he's given us in Jesus Christ. He says, declares, this is Ephesians chapter one, you're my perfect daughter, you're my perfect son. And we might know that we're not perfect. We know our failures, we know our weaknesses, we know our flaws, but this is where faith comes in and, and faith understands that God's forgiven us. He looks at us as perfect in his eyes through Jesus Christ. And so that mercy that we receive from God is mercy that we can now share with others. We can be forgiving of others as well. It's not easy. Easiest thing in the world is to be offended and then to offend in return. Piece of cake, we can do that in our sleep. That's not mercy. Mercy is extending forgiveness even when we've been offended. So let's say somebody really annoys you, they bug you. For example, I know I bug my wife for 28 years have bugged her straight. For 28 years, I, am, I don't remember a lot of details. For 28 years, I have not remembered that Tuesday night is trash night. 28 years times 52 weeks, the trash cans need to go to the street. It's not even that far of a, of a walk. 28 years, I haven't remembered one time. My wife has a choice. She can hold a grudge against me for so many years of failure she could say to herself, you know what? He doesn't even value the things I value, like taking rotting garbage away from the house. He doesn't even value, the, and she could, and, and I'm telling you, there are probably dozens of things. I'm not great at those details. My wife has a choice. Am I gonna hold a grudge against this uh, moron, or am I gonna say, you know what? I just married a guy who's a little slow, and he needs help like a child to do his chores. And so every single Tuesday night, she looks at me with that little look in her eye, and I think, it must be Tuesday. <laughs> Trash day, okay, off we go. Forgiveness is so valuable. Just to be able to let the little things go. Let the little things go. Uh, fortunately, um, I don't have anything I have to let go of with my wife. She's perfect in every way. Forgiveness also happens in the big stuff, and this is more serious. If somebody has truly wounded you, and I mean wounded you, if somebody has betrayed a marriage vow, if somebody has turned their back on you in time of need, if somebody has abused you emotionally, physically, sexually, somebody has really hurt you, forgiveness is not a joke. Forgiveness is not flippant. But forgiveness is still a journey that I think we need to consider. And when I say forgiveness, I do not mean forgive and forget. I think that is a joke. I think that is actually destructive. Forgive and forget is not even a real thing. And if people try to do it, they're only going to further wound themselves. Forgiveness is not about an emotion that just disappears. That's not even possible. We're human beings and we're sensitive human beings and we're tender human beings. And so if somebody who loves us betrays us or hurts us or wounds us, that feeling is meant to stay. It's meant to hurt. We wouldn't be human if it didn't, right? 
So forgiveness isn't about for, you know, forgiving and forgetting and just, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. And that pain is meant to be there to remind you of how human you are. That pain is also there to remind you that you need to set good, appropriate boundaries, right? So that, so that you're not re-wounded by that same person, right? So that emotional wound there is there for a reason. Forgiveness is saying, despite that wound, I'm not going to spend my life punishing that person. That's forgiveness. In fact, I might spend my life trying to wonder how can I heal from this wound and how maybe I can even return some kindness in that direction. That is difficult. It is brutally difficult. For those of you who have been wounded, you know what I'm talking about. But that path of forgiveness is so important. It's a path of deep mercy. And it is the path that Jesus Christ himself went on to forgive each and every single one of us. So mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is also support, just interrelational, interpersonal support. If somebody is grieving the loss of a loved one, don't just ignore it or don't think, you know, I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to say anything at all. And I know how difficult it is. I remember um, the very first thing I did as a pastor here was respond to someone who had just lost their son in their backyard. In that moment, to be able to receive that call and then to immediately think to myself, I don't want to go over there. I'm way too young for this. I don't have any experience in this. And in that sort of horrific tragedy to just get in the car and make that drive and get to that house and go to that backyard. I mean, just as, as a young person to just to, to do that once and to say, okay, I'm very glad I showed up. It was one of the worst things still to this day I've ever experienced in my life, but to just show up and to just be there for someone. And no one has the words in that moment. No one has the right words. And there's nothing perhaps even to say other than I'm here and I'm so, so, so sorry. And to shed a tear with that family. The mercy of support. If your neighbor is struggling, making them a meal, I'm bringing over dinner tonight. I'm, I'm sending flowers to somebody who lost a, a loved one. I'm gonna do a handwritten note in that bad boy, right? Um, I'm gonna say to someone who's struggling, I just want you to know I have been praying for you and this is what I have been praying about. You see how that means maybe a little bit more than, oh, I'll pray for you? But to say, I have been praying for you and here is what I'm praying about. Those are the things that really make a difference in somebody's life. That is true mercy, relational support. And then there's the mercy of tangible help. Tangible help. And, and this is so, so simple. I'm gonna put it in childlike language. If someone doesn't have stuff and we have stuff, give stuff away. It is that simple. And I love the simplicity of this. I love it. it it's, it's so simple. Our two-year-olds at Rancho Christian Preschool can do this. And they do it and they love it. We have food, food drives over there. And you have these two-year-olds coming in and they can only carry one can of corn. That's all their little fingers can take. But then, and maybe mom or dad has the rest, mainly mom, but some cool dads. They come in with all this stuff and they know, a two-year-old knows what they're doing. There are people that are hungry and we have food at our house and I'm bringing food so that somebody can eat. Isn't that just so pure and wonderful and nice and innocent and Christ-like, a two-year-old can do acts of mercy. And this is motivated by an understanding of really who Jesus made a priority. Jesus prioritized the poor. Some people don't like that, but it's just flat true. Jesus prioritized the poor. 
The poor had a very special place in his heart. Remember what Jesus said as he introduced himself to the world? I am here to bring good news to the poor. Here's the very first line of his very first sermon. So I'm telling you what Jesus said right out of the gate as he introduced himself and right here as he preaches his first sermon. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. That's the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of of God is yours. It is that simple. Those who are in need have a special place in God's heart. Those who are in need are Jesus' first priority. I know that that doesn't quite sit right for those of us who may not be poor, but let's think about this, right? People who don't have a lot, they are so naturally aligned with the kingdom of heaven. They know what it is like to be humble. People who have a lot of stuff really struggle with being humble. And so they've got to work a little harder. People who are poor know what it's like to rely on God. I mean, they're praying for their next meal. Dion talked about that a little bit last week. They're so dependent on God. People who are rich who have, and by the way, I define rich as having plenty of food in your pantry, plenty of clothes in your closet, and plenty of square foot of roof over your head. That's, and running water, it makes you among the wealthiest people on earth. So most of us are in that rich category. We don't have to pray to God, Lord, my children are gonna need something to eat tonight. And so those who don't have are really kind of naturally aligned with the kingdom of heaven a little more than, than those of us who, who have just so much. Very famously, you know what Jesus said here, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking in hyperbola. You cannot understand the teaching of Jesus unless you understand ancient Near East hyperbola, exaggeration. This is funny. Jesus is cracking a joke here in the ancient Near East. And he's saying, listen, and people are cracking up. He's saying, imagine a camel shoving himself through the eye of a needle. And everybody's busting up. That's, that's Hebrew, ancient Near Eastern hyperbola, right? That's how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't saying rich people can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's just saying it's difficult, and he's saying it's, it's more natural for people who don't have to align their heart with the kingdom of heaven. It's just more difficult for rich people. And he's not, gonna, he's not talking about heaven and hell. He's just talking about living life in the kingdom of heaven, in alignment with the heart of God. That just leans to people in need. John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And um, here's how he prepared the way. He says, the long promised savior of the world is coming. John the Baptist says, I'm here to kind of pave the way. I'm making a way for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And here's how he did it. John said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. That's how John the Baptist paved the way for the ministry of Jesus. Again, keeping it really simple. You have two shirts, you have more than you need, don't you? Give one to the poor. Now again, this isn't meant to be taken literally, and again, this is ancient Near East hyperbola, so John isn't saying literally two shirts, you have way too much. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying if you have a a closet full of clothes, you probably aren't gonna wear at least a third of them. Maybe it's time to give those bad boys away. You're looking at your pantry, I mean, I have a pantry you walk into. Could you imagine the rest of the world? Wait, I'm sorry. Could you repeat what you just said? You have a pantry that you can walk into like a room full of food. I have a room full of food. 
it is very possible that perhaps every week or once a month I could take some of that food and give a little thing and especially this, you know, and just bring it to church and put it in our food. We have a food bin there every single Sunday. When we started the Community Mission of Hope, we had this little mantra, bring your Bibles and some food. And that launched the Community Mission of Hope, which now has a massive warehouse and a massive di distribution center and owns houses. And it's this wonderful thing, right? That started with one church that said, bring your Bible and bring some food. To, to live a life as simple as what John the Baptist was saying here. If you have two shirts, give one away. If you have food, share it. Jesus also said in his ministry that true purity of heart comes when we give things away to help people in need. Now, a lot of times in religious settings, we think, okay, purity of heart. What is purity of heart? Well, purity of heart is prayer, and we have to pray more. Then we'll have our heart pure. Or it's reading the Bible. We read the Bible, we get the word of God, and our heart will be pure. Now, listen, I'm a big fan of prayer. Love prayer, love being prayed for, love praying for people, love praying for the church. Prayer is awesome. The word of God, I spend my life studying the word of God. I love the word of God. But Jesus says, you wanna know what makes your heart pure? Listen, you Pharisees, you religious people, you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You look very religious and pious on the outside, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. Jesus isn't wanting to, to raise up a whole group of people who are devoted to church services, prayer, and scripture reading time. There's nothing wrong with that. All of that is good. I prefer you be at church. I like being with you guys, right? Here, live, and online, and it's great. I like prayer, like reading the word. It's all very good, all, all very helpful. But God, uh, Jesus didn't come to raise up a movement of Bible readers. He didn't come to raise up a movement of prayer people. He didn't raise, come to raise up a movement of churchgoers. He came to say, as you go to church and as you pray and as you read the word, you are gonna be equipped to live a life of mercy, justice, and love. That's the way of Jesus. And I have to do this, is we have to, to look introspectively at the church culture. There is a church culture. There's a Western church culture. There's an American church culture. And the American church culture is getting all tossed up in the air. And I love it. I mean, I love it. I, and I'm a little kind of up for that stuff. But American church life is just a total disaster, right? And a church married with politics. And there's those people over there and these people over there. And what is church anyway? And do we need buildings and campuses? And do we need staff? And everybody's asking all the questions because COVID basically shut down vast majority of churches for a year, year and a half. And so it just took the whole thing and tossed it up in the air. And it's kind of sorting, sort of landing in some key discussions. And this is one of them. It's like, what is church? And some hard questions are being asked around the area of mercy is, is it, I don't want to say right or wrong, is it the best, let's put it that way, is it the best that as offerings come in from the church, that 97% of those offerings are spent on church staff, church buildings, and church programs for ourselves? Is that aligned with the teaching and ministry of Jesus? And I think if we were to be objective, the answer would be probably not. Probably not. Now listen, Jesus, Jesus took up offerings and he and his disciples lived off offerings. You can call that a staff if you want. They met in synagogues, which had to be funded. So you can call that a campus if you want. So we can have all this discussion about staff and campuses and whatever. But what we can't have a discussion about is how much of a priority mercy ought to be and how much of a priority giving to help those who are in need ought to be. 
And I'm telling you, 3% is not the number, right? Just objectively, 3% is not the number. But the average church, best data is the average church gives away 3% outside of the walls of their church to help people in need. Unacceptable. And you kind of wonder why a lot of pastors are upset that their congregations only give 2 to 3% of their income to the church. I get asked to speak to a lot of churches specifically about giving for some reason. I don't even know why. I hardly even talk about it. For those of you who are new to Rancho, I haven't talked about giving since before COVID. We're going to do it a little bit today. So you hit the jackpot. You're lucky. But I go to speak to, to folks about uh, giving and I, I, they, they say, well, what's kind of the trick? And I say, first of all, I'm no expert. I don't even know what the percentage, I, I don't, I, we don't study a lot of data around here. We just give, we have an accountable budget and we give way more than 3% outside the walls of the church. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for pastors who are interested in having a, a more generous congregation, I always ask them the same question. Well, how generous are you with your church budget? They don't want to talk about that. Because it's very uncomfortable. Here's this money coming into a church organization. How much of it goes outside the walls of the church to help people in need? If it's a little tiny amount, there should be absolutely no surprise that your congregation gives a little tiny amount. The church isn't generous outside the walls of the church. The families aren't going to be generous outside of the walls of their home. Just the way it's going to be. Here's a little exercise. And I, by the way, I don't like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's just manipulative. U.S. churches receive $130 billion in donations. America is the most generous country in the world. Most of that generosity goes to churches. That's a big responsibility that churches have. Churches are receiving most of the generosity of America itself. So there's a big trust. There's a big stewardship that we're holding these donations. If only 3% of those donations on average go outside the walls of the church to help people in need, that is $4 billion a year through churches to help people in need. That is garbage. If we can just imagine, and this is where it gets just manipulative, just hear me out. If we can imagine 50%, 50%, that's a big number, of church offerings going outside the walls of the church, so a church can live on 50% of its income for staff and buildings and programs, half of it goes outside to help people in need, that dollar amount according to statistics, would wipe out global hunger, wipe out global illiteracy, and bring clean water to every single human being on earth. If just half of donations that come to American churches are given to help people in need. Now, here's the part that I need to be apologetic for. It's not that easy to just throw money at these problems and it's all fixed. I'm just saying the dollar value is significant. If we would take offerings and follow the priorities of Jesus. At Rancho, and I've said this before, and this is just for transparency, 38.8% of offerings that come in go outside the walls of the church, 38.8. 15 years ago, we can applaud that. 15 years ago, it was about eight to 9%, which is better than average. It just didn't seem to align with where Rancho was heading. And so we worked with the board, right? The board of elders at the time. And we said eight, nine point, eight to 9% is not gonna work. And we set a benchmark of 15%. Then we set a benchmark of 25%. Then we set a benchmark of 33%. And now we're at 38.8%. Our next, next benchmark is 50% by 2025. That's the goal. On the trajectory we are on, we are gonna probably exceed that early. 
And I'm not saying we're right. I'm not saying we have it figured out. I'm just saying for our church, this is what mercy means to us. And if the church, you know, leaders, the staff, the elders can look at our budget and steward our budget and align it with the mercy of Jesus, maybe, just maybe, generosity would be unlocked in the church. So I'm going to ask. <laughs> I'm going to ask for generosity. Haven't done this since pre-COVID, but I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you one of three questions. First, would you consider being a two percenter? You know what I mean by being a two percenter? Two percent of your income. Most families, not all, some of, you, some of you families are really, really struggling right now. If your budget's upside down, you can't pay the bills, don't give. That, the word of God is very clear on that. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Don't buy into the corruption of church manipulation that if you give to God first, he'll give back to you more money than you gave. Not true, utter lie, doesn't happen. You give, it's gone, period. There's a coincidence every once in a while. <laughs> that doesn't make, all right. A two percenter. If you're not desperately struggling, even families that tend to be uh, on the uh, in the poverty uh, level can give two percent of their income, pre-tax, post-tax. Again, I don't care. Some of the most generous people in America, in fact, statistically, the most generous people in America are under the poverty line. Why? Because they know what it's like to be in need, and they know the pleasure of giving to meet the need of their neighbor. Right. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say, you know what, we're not giving, but maybe we can start with 2%. Good place to start. Back when my wife and I were living truly paycheck to paycheck. We had three kids. I was a uh, poor youth pastor, single income family. We were a mess. It was truly paycheck to paycheck. We tried to give and we, we were about that 2% category. Sometimes we could, sometimes we couldn't, but we wanted to, to start a habit. And then we said, okay, what's the goal to become a 5%er? Could, could we become a five percenter? And so you get a little bit of raise and you put a little more aside for giving and you get a little bonus, you put a little aside, you get a little tax refund, you put a little aside, right? So there's this goal to say, I want to enjoy the pleasure of not just receiving mercy from God, but giving mercy. So maybe we can become a five percenter. Maybe you can become over time a 10 percenter. This is that biblical tithe, right? It's not a biblical mandate. It's a biblical encouragement to say maybe as life comes together and as your income grows and maybe you, you don't grow your lifestyle 10% more than your income grows. I don't know, just a thought. Maybe you can set aside some margin for some generosity. Maybe you can become a 10%er. And I'm not really even asking for the church. I mean, we hope we would earn your trust over time and you could give generously to your church. And hopefully you could celebrate the fact that 38.8% right now goes outside the walls and we're heading to 60, uh, 50% and it'll get higher. But maybe there's a cause that you like. There's just some selfless cause you like, something you've, you, you've heard out there, helping people and get involved with that cause. If you don't trust churches, and, I, and believe me, Rancho Community Church is the place where people come who don't trust churches. That's like our jam. <laughs> if you don't trust churches and you don't wanna give the churches for whatever reason, woundedness in the past or whatever, whether you're here live or online, you just don't trust giving to churches, give directly to cmoh.net. We don't touch that, 100%. goes right to help people in need. But start the habit of generosity somehow, some way. I'm gonna put it to you this way, and I, I, I don't mean this to be an edge, but showing mercy to people in need through generosity is the one great no-brainer of following Jesus. There's no other way to put it. I don't like, I don't like being manipulative up here, 
I don't like Christian platitudes. I don't like any of that stuff. But I'm just telling you how Jesus taught about himself, what Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven, what he did with his life. It is the great no-brainer of following Jesus is giving generously to meet the needs of the poor. It's inarguable. It's also the great unifier of the church. And I'll just wrap up with this and we're gonna celebrate communion together. In the very first church, we're talking about the first century church, they were at war with each other. I mean at war. The Jewish church was hanging on to their Old Testament culture and they thought everybody had to play along. We're talking about circumcision and Sabbaths, all the feasts and festivals and everything, the diet, all of it. They said, if anybody wants to follow Jesus, they've got to basically become a practicing Jew. The people who weren't practicing Jews were saying, I don't think we need to do that. I think we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. We don't need the, the old covenant Jewish traditions. And they were correct. The Jews were right in that they had every freedom to keep their Jewish traditions. The Gentiles were right that they had every freedom to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ without those Jewish traditions. But they hated each other. And I mean hated each other. And this fight plays out in the book of Galatians. And I love this point right in the center of Galatians. Here's James, Peter, and John, pillars of the Jewish church. And here's Paul and here's Barnabas, pillars of the Gentile church. And they're navigating all kinds of stuff. Their only suggestion that brought them together was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. Are we getting the picture? <laughs> I think we got it. This dead horse has been beat. But it is time to live a life of mercy. It's time to live a life of generosity. It's time to live a life of sharing what we've got. It's time to live a life of supporting each other through relationship as we do a community mission of hope, coming alongside people who are struggling. It's time to be just simply more merciful at home, stop sweating the small stuff. It's time to be more forgiving it's time to not contribute to this crazy tone, this fighting that we have going on in American social media and political life. It's time to stop religious wars where we are just firing barbs at each other. You're not this, you're not this. Are you even saved? It's like, give me a break. It's time to just follow Jesus. A diverse community of friends advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. Doesn't that just sound good? That just sounds good. Mercy given can only come when mercy is received.